Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us each week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Jeremy Hart to the Italian Wine Podcast. Jeremy has decades of previous experience in hospitality and wholesale, and in 2020, he co-founded Enology Marketing Agency and created his own wine brand, Explicit Content. In 2021, he co-founded another business called Samda AI and holds the role of the Chief Strategic Marketing Officer. Jeremy's dedicated to pushing the beverage industry's growth and promotion through data-enhanced methods, and we're really excited to learn from him today on today's episode um, about all that he's doing with Samda AI and Enology. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. It's so great to have you here. Very nice uh, to be here. So before we dive into today's discussion about sales data, fascinating topic, um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the wine industry? I got in the wine industry in 2005. I was uh, I was in bar and restaurant prior to that, but it was the first time I was working at a place that was exclusively wine. And so it was a little retail restaurant that was in Houston that was just super far ahead of its time. And I was super fortunate to work there. Um, we used to do 50 wines by the glass in 05, 16 flights that we changed every week. And then we we did just a, a, an insane amount of retail sales monthly in a little 5,000 square foot space. And so teeth on a really cool place. Amazing. Um, so that was 2005. Let's fast forward to 2020 and 21 when you started these new companies. Tell us a little bit about, about that. So um, we launched Innoology essentially as a marketing agency. And so um, the original plan was essentially to, to uh, in a creative way, uh, teach people how to self-import um, if they're in product. And so that was kind of the background to that. And then gotten a little bit of brokerage. I still do some of that as well. Um, but for the most part, it was just coaching, you know, wineries on essentially how to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that that was definitely a need. And as much time as I spent on the import side, I did that for seven and a half years, I definitely noticed that it didn't really matter how often anyone would come to the U.S. Uh, for the most part. To do business, there was still always a gap on education on how things function. Right. And it's incredibly difficult because each state has their own set of laws and operations and kind of standards of practice. And so it is it is a minefield. And so it was, it was a definite need. Yeah. And that's you know part of the reason we're doing this series on the Italian wine podcast all about the U.S. wine market is to help demystify and break down uh, working the U.S. market for our, our listeners. 
So uh, we, we share that common, that common belief in, in the need for education and, and providing more insights and information to people in order to really master and learn how to, to make the most of this market. Exactly, exactly. In this episode, Jeremy, we're going to talk to you about how wineries and wine companies can better use sales data specifically to inform their sales and marketing decisions in the U.S. market. So our three key takeaways for today's masterclass, and we're really excited to learn from you, are number one, what are the biggest challenges Italian wineries are facing today, specifically in the on-premise, and also on the flip side, what are the opportunities? Number two, industry benchmarking. How can brands accurately compare themselves to their competitors using sales data? And number three, when and how do you know as a brand when to push on your distributor for performance? So um, I think we're going to learn so much from you today. So let's dive in. So to start with, talk to us a little bit about the state of the on-premise market in the U.S. for Italian wine. Uh, What categories are performing best? What states are we seeing the most growth? Where are we maybe seeing some declines in the Italian wine category? Just give us a broad uh, picture overview of, of where we are at in 2023 for Italian wine and U.S. market. Well, the really interesting piece of information within the, the data, we cover currently right now across the U.S. about 45,000 on-premise accounts. And so we, we go across all those wine lists. We understand what's on all those wine lists. And then anything that we see on those wine lists, we can break down via country, region, subregion, population, and predominant rate varietal. And so between those things, you get a really good blueprint of what's happening at any given moment. We also track changes, so things that come on, come off. So right now in the U.S., the last you know year to date, uh, basically for net ads right now, the for U.S. wines in the U.S., it's almost flat. It's 0.3% as far as growth. Um, as far as for uh, European products, France is in the lead, but significantly driven by, um, by Champagne. Mm-hmm. The Bordeaux and a little bit of Burgundy. The really fun stuff is with Italy. Um, it's 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 number two as far as growth. Net ad, it's it's up twelve hundred placements, which is fantastic. And so uh, as far as net ads, uh, the the leading area for this is actually going to be uh, Barolo, which is pretty exciting. It's always like right now. The really interesting thing is that with all the talk of recession, decline, the major growth categories for for all the the major wine countries, U.S., France, Italy, are, are on the premium side. It's Italy, you're looking at Barolo, you're looking at Super Tuscans, uh, you're looking at Bernello, uh, and then at the same point in time, Chiani. And so those are always kind of some of the drivers, but as far as their price points, um, you typically don't see that much growth uh, within this time frame. So it's, it's kind of interesting information. And even Barbaresco, you know, it's basically number four, and it's a very small place. And those kinds of things are interesting and something you can really easily kind of identify. Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, that that follows what we've been seeing in the industry headlines about the super premium luxury categories growing. But it's it's so interesting that that is the trend, considering all the negative headlines we're seeing about the economy and rising prices. So I guess consumers, though, you know, they're, they're still spending um, as if as if we're not in recession, which is which is interesting just to, to think about the consumer behavior there. Um, I don't think it's it's specific to wine either. You look at fashion and beauty. I mean, the cost of everything is going up and people seem to be keeping up with the, the spending somehow. So uh, maybe a lot of credit card debt out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm going to assume as well. Yeah, but regardless, it's it's good for for Italy to see uh, some of those those categories performing well. And that's exciting, even 
you know, Barbara Resco to hear that that's on the rise as well. So that that's really exciting. What about the highest performing Italian skew on premise? Can you tell us that? Well, one of the other things I wanted to mention really quick, which I was looking into this morning, that's really, really uh, quite exciting, is that if you break this down and look at it by state, uh, there's one state that is absolutely off the charts as far as growth, and it's Colorado. Oh, Colorado is up 19%. For Italy specifically, correct? Italy specifically. Wow, interesting. I know Bobby Stuckey's out there with, with Frasca and his restaurants, and he's big in Italian wine, but maybe uh, people are following his leadership and his path. That's that's very interesting. I would not have guessed Colorado. I would, I would have thought maybe Florida, since that state's grown so much in the last few years, but Colorado, very cool. Yeah, really, really kind of unusual. Um, let's see here, as far as for the question you just asked. Oh, and the other interesting thing here with all of this, as far as, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the same states that you would kind of imagine, New York, California, New Jersey. Illinois is always right there. Massachusetts is like one of those sleeper states. So much Italian business gets done in Massachusetts. It's wild. Hmm, interesting. And then D.C. is always a major player, and then Pennsylvania as well. But uh, let's see here. As far as some of the, the highest performing SKUs or producers, yeah, one of the this is going to blow your mind. So one of the top performing, it's basically tied, and so for on premise growth, this is so crazy. Uh, La Marca's number one for net ads for Prosecco, just in general. These are all skews for Italy, right? The last year, they're up one fifty two for net ads. Wow. Okay. Guess what's number two? Uh, you're never going to guess. Uh, it's going to be Ornalia. Oh, wow. Has <laughs> one hundred and fifty one net ads. That's wild. The average, that is wild. The average price difference between these two, Lamarck on a wine list sits at 48 bucks on average. One Elias sits at 451. Wow. That's fascinating. So and they're not too dissimilar too in terms of their their net ads, right? Like they, they seem yeah. So that is that is really, really fascinating. I mean, we know Prosecco has had such a boom, so Lamarca isn't that's not entirely surprising. I, I would think I was figuring it was going to be a very commercial brand and, and number one, but to, to hear that Ornolaya is number two, I mean, that is really, really interesting and, and speaks to what you, you said earlier about the growth in the luxury space too, right? So that speaks directly to that. Um, can you see in the data where, which states Ornolaya has seen the most growth recently? So as far as by state, uh, the ones that have grown the most, uh, California, okay. uh, DC is number two, and then Massachusetts, okay. right from that one, Illinois, and New Jersey. Interesting. But the the heavy lifting significantly is in California. Mm. They're plus fifteen. Plus fifteen in California. Wow. Okay, I'll have to be on the lookout out here in California for for to lie on more lists. That's that's great. Very interesting. Um, well, this is it's fun to dig into to the data for sure, and I think this is a good example of. Jeremy, what you're bringing to to wineries in terms of the data that that you can offer, I mean, that's that's really interesting. So, you know, let's also talk about benchmarking. Um, you know, it's important to look at our competitors, you know, within our category, outside of our category. You know, you mentioned France is in that number one position ahead of Italy, but there's also Spain, Portugal, not to mention you know domestic wines here in the U.S. market that are are huge. You know, I'm sitting here near Napa and it's it's very California centric out here in terms of what people are drinking. So how should Italian wineries be looking at data in order to benchmark their performance on premise to other brands, other regions, competitors? Talk to us a little bit about, about benchmarking. 
Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. I think the the big piece and like uh, with today, the interesting piece is that the premium is is such a a benchmarkable category just by price point. You know, if you just want to look at reds, you know, over three hundred dollars on a wine list or something like that, you get some really interesting data, right? And so that's one way to look at it. If you just want to drill into by appellation, uh, I think that that is also super duper important. The funny thing in the past is that all of this business has existed and the way to go about doing business has existed is that you're basically going off a feeling or kind of like looking around and, you know, am I seeing other people on wine lists? You know, am I seeing shelf space? But there was never really any true kind of tangible for on-premise. And so you didn't know if you were just having a flat year. You didn't know if a bad vintage was offsetting everyone else as much as it was you or a short vintage or whatever else. And so... Those kind of things are super duper interesting uh, to drill into. Um, and you can do that within the platform. So like any particular place you want me to dig into um, on the premium side, it's super duper easy to see. Uh, and that's also one of the really interesting pieces here is that having that pricing component that you're able to see on our platform is that you can also see sometimes growth, you know, it, you can understand that maybe someone's having significant growth because they're a little bit cheaper mm-hmm. or, the things, but to be able to look at it macroly and understand that, like, that doesn't always matter. Like, you know, sometimes not at all. So, like for Barola, for example, I'm looking at Scavino. They're the number one uh, producer as far as net ads. The last they're up 194 uh, total total uh, placements the last year, right? So it's 11% growth. Okay, uh, their average price point's 196. Okay, below that one's Vira. Their average price point's 125 across all their SKUs. They're up 141, okay? The really interesting thing, though, uh, is if you keep digging into some of this stuff, some of these that are, are significantly expensive are still having wild growth. Like a Chavo Paterno is, is average price points, basically $727 on a wine list. They're up 50, 50 net ads. They're number seventh as far as total growth. And so, um, you know, I think the barrier to entry to where everyone always thought you had to discount those kinds of things, I don't really think that's 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 a problem. That's something that I always considered to kind of be a problem with selling Italian wine. I did for seven and a half years almost exclusively mm-hmm. uh, Italian wine across six states and then also into national accounts. And so one of the pushbacks I got often was this wine's too inexpensive. Interesting. You know, and so now I think it's finally caught up to where you know, people want the premium and if you want to compete with, you know, some major players from California, if you want to be on the best wine list for awards, those kinds of things, some of those things, if it can't go by the glass, there's only something by the glass slots. Some of these prices need to be raised or you're also seeing producers doing kind of a premium packages now on, on wines that they, you typically wouldn't see like a, I don't say a reserve Vermentino but especially made Vermentino that sits on the leaves and extended time of ripening or those kinds of things to make a premium package out of a wine that you didn't always typically see. And so I, I think now is the time to really kind of push all those things because I think they're going to be able to find homes a lot easier. And there's this weird thing right now to where like the cool James Beard kind of driven restaurants, hipster, hipster restaurants have this affinity to Italian mm-hmm. wine. I, 
love. Like you can find Italian wine more now than I think you right. ever could. And are you seeing within those, I mean, can you categorize in your data, those hipster quote unquote restaurants and see what categories of Italian wine are performing better? And We can. And so like one of the neat things is you can sort by awards. So like if I just wanted to go look at like all the Michelin star restaurants or all the Grand Award restaurants or all the James Beard restaurants, whatever, or a combination of those. Like if I just want to put on the filter for Italian and James Beard restaurants, and then uh, just kind of see. So for James Beard winning restaurants, they're, they're number two as far as net ads. France has more, okay, right? And so France basically has 500 net ads the last year in James Beard award-winning restaurants, okay? But that percentage of change is only 2.6%, okay? So their growth, even though it's almost 500 net ads, is 2.6%. For Italian wines in those restaurants, it's it's 353 net ads, but the percentage of growth is 7.3. It's substantially higher as far as like, you know, as far as trends. And so, um, I mean, that's exciting to me. Yeah, that's very exciting. How would you look at benchmarking or comparing, you know, we see France as a, the competitor for Italy. So how would you like, let's say, let's take one Alaya, um, seeing substantial growth in the last year, um, if Bernalaya wanted to look at target accounts against their French competitors, how would you how would you look at that, like outside of the Italian category? So there's there's a couple different ways to do it. So like if I wanted to pull up Bernalaya, so I'm gonna pull up Bernalaya, just the Bernalaya, Bernalaya, right? Mm -hmm. Pull up that one. So essentially, is what we'll have this tagged as is going to be a red red Bordeaux blend from Tuscany, right? right? Okay. And then its average price point. This is quite the range, but it is its average price point. We have it on 914 restaurants within our 45,000. They, they buy Ornolino, Ornolino, right? The average price point or medium price point is 450, but their range is 350 to 625, okay? If I want to do a, a what like a, 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 a comp just to get against that, I'm going to go ahead and do that. The only thing I'm going to take out from here, instead of having Tuscany in here, I'm just going to leave it open. I'm going to go to France and Italy. So we're still looking at red Bordeaux blends, okay? right? Oh, now, but now let's just see where everything kind of sits within all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So if I want to look at this by producer, I'm going to look at it by SKU real quick instead of by producer. I think it's give a little bit more accurate picture. Uh, so the price range is 350 to 625 Okay. Uh, the amount of accounts that buy Red Bordeaux blend from either France or Italy, so basically Super Tuscans or Bordeaux for the most part because of the price point. Um, within, within our 45000 on-premise accounts, which is we skew towards the high end for accounts, right? And so basically there's 2,157 accounts that I can show you to target, okay? That's basically the account pool of it. The total amount of placements is 12,000 because some of these carry multiple vintages. They can carry multiple uh, kind of SKUs that fit within this category, so on and so forth, right? So basically every account carries about six, right? Accounts that would carry this. And the average price point between all that's 425. The way that this ranks as far as by total placements the funniest thing, number one is Sasakaya. Okay. And this is between Super Tuscans and Bordeaux. Uh, two is Ornelaya, Ornelaya. Right. So Sasakaya has 965 placements. Okay. Ornelaya has 878. Okay. The next one below that one is Claude Esternau. So you're looking at, it's a huge jump down. We're looking at 572. So we're less than 300 placements between that just to get to Bordeaux. I mean, that's the power of Super Tuscan, especially premium Super Tuscans. Right. 
And what that tells me too is that the power of the Super Tuscan brand name of Ornelia Sasakaya is stronger than some of the brand names perhaps in Bordeaux. I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm gathering from what you're saying is yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I one hundred percent agree. And so um the really funny thing on here is Sasakaya even being the leader here, they're actually down they're actually down four percent. Oh, interesting. Isn't that why? Yeah. And so uh, and so besides that, it's just basically Bordeaux for, for a bit after that. But um, it's to me, it's transcended that category. You know what I mean? It's at the same it's premium. It's the same uh, ideal kind of customer avatar, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's really, really funny, you know, that now we're here. The next question after that, just FYI, just for, for, for knowledge, is actually going to be basically Karmaconda from Gaia. Yeah. And so, and that's a little bit further down. But so at the same point in time, it's in the top 20. Very interesting. I mean, there's so much data at your fingertips, Jeremy, that you're, you're pulling up, right? And we know that with supplier and importer distributor relationships, you know, a lot of it is working in partnership and in tandem to, to be successful in the market. So how, and you've been on both sides of this now, how and when do you think brands should be pushing their distributor for performance, like how can they use some of the data insights that you're pulling to go to the distributor uh, and look at either changing strategy, improving strategy, et cetera? Um, I think I think that benchmarking piece obviously is going to be the key to all of those things. Because in the past, like we as mentioned prior, is you know um, it was basically based off of feeling. You know what I mean? Like you could kind of understand what other people were doing. You look around, oh, are they hiring more people, those kinds of things. But besides that, there wasn't a lot of tangibles. Um, some of the, the the major kind of wholesalers, because they were essentially kind of the leaders for these kind of categories or these kinds of progressions of the business, um, is essentially that they could say for this, you know, category, you know, there's 15 wines within here, you know what I mean, that exist within the account pool for this state. And then this is the share, but there's no names to the wineries typically. Uh, and then you can't really understand. And the other thing is too, even if you're surveying that for yourself, the big, huge disadvantage is that you're only looking at information provided by the person that sells your same wine. And so you're asking for them to go increase your business. You're literally asking them to go trade horses, basically take business away from someone else to plug you in. With what we with what we do, we provide a more accurate, clear picture of the entire state of what's going on and it's outside. So, like one of the neat things with a platform is that you can actually go in here and then chop it up even by wholesaler as best as we can tag it to wholesaler. And so you can if it's time to push and you can see it within the within the information, you can see whether everyone's being flat, whether the market's soft, or if it's on the rise, you can see, you know, um, how your wholesaler is doing with that. And then also you can give them a list of targets for uh, their competing wholesaler. So when you do nudge with this kind of information, in the past, you would ask for a target list. You would ask for these things. Now you can literally provide the target list. And now it's it's more encouraging than being like, hey, you're doing a terrible job. Now the push is like, hey, this is where your competitors are at. You know, don't replace someone else's wine that you represent as well. You can now take another guy's place with them. Right, right. You're giving them information that allows them to to go out to into the market more strategically right as opposed so, to based off of feeling but based off of, of real numbers like tangibles yeah mm -hmm. tangibles yeah. yeah and so now now there's just it's a different conversation entirely 
You know what yeah. I mean? You're helping pull the rope and at the same point in time, you're showing them where to fish, all those things. And so um, another piece to the platform that's kind of interesting as far as like nudging distributors or wholesalers is that with a platform, you can see within our X category, like if I want to go look up, you know, um, Barolo or it doesn't really matter here. I'll just pop open one real quick. Uh, but if I want to go look up Barolo and see the all of my um, all of my uh, competitors, I can literally go in here and look at notifications. And then within that, I can see who's raised their prices. Mm. Right? So there's ever pushback from a wholesaler on like, hey, you know, we can't stomach this. You know, you're going to lose all these placements. You can literally go in here with tangibles and be like, everyone's doing it. Right. We're not the only ones. And so now it's like it, it changes the conversation entirely. It makes all those conversations a lot easier. Yeah. Because you're going in there not just off a of feeling or emotion, but you're, like you said, we're going in with tangibles. Yeah, that that's that's super powerful. So, Jeremy, we're coming to the, the close of today's episode. And before we finish, we always do our rapid fire quiz uh, where we will ask you three questions and we'll ask you to respond in a couple of sentences or less in order to really hammer home some of the key takeaways of today's episode. And, and we learned so much from you. So um, I, this might be hard to answer in, in one or two questions, each of these, but we'll do your best here. So uh, question number one, what are the biggest challenges Italian wineries are facing today in the on-premise? Um, I, I would have said in the past um, education, but that's no longer applicable. I think that, uh, I think as far as uh, some of the biggest hurdles for Italian producers, uh, probably FaceTime. FaceTime, and in the past, it used to be that you used to fight for FaceTime with your, with your sales reps. I think the best use of time if you're in the U.S. market is spend as much time with buyers as possible. Uh, in this age, especially where, you know, not everyone's staying at the same position, you know, and so and that rep might not cover what you need them to cover in the future because now they're trying to restart a relationship. The really cool thing is if you make relationships with buyers and they leave a place, sometimes they leave your placements there and no one touches them. Yeah, that's a great point. Propagates it from there. And so that one relationship can benefit so much or they fall into a restaurant group position. And now your your relationship just went times five because now you're across a bunch of restaurants. And so that would be the the, the, the biggest hurdle uh, would be getting the FaceTime, but as much as spend it with buyers. Uh, question number two, industry benchmarking, how can brands more accurately compare themselves to their competitors? Um, there's there's ways within our platform to where, and I would suggest using our platform, obviously, <laughs> but there's there's ways for the first time you can have tangibles. Yeah, before you know, thoughts were in more kind of generalizations. How, how's Tuscany doing? How's Piedmont doing? Those kinds of things to where you can actually drill down and get finite. That's where there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of riches there. Okay, and finally, Jeremy, question number three: When and how does a supplier know when to push on their distributor for performance? Being flat used to be a pretty clear indication of uh, a distributor's point of view on on whether they're going to push your product or not. Uh, there's now tangibles that exist to prove whether a flat year was actually a great year, and so that's an important piece to it. Uh, the one time I would I would absolutely um, know it's time to push a wholesaler is if my products are falling behind within their hierarchy of things that need to get done. And I'm not talking about generally, they're always going to have some brands that are more important, but if my lateral brand within their book is being represented better than mine or my placements are getting replaced with those wines, then that's time to definitely go push a wholesaler. Mm. 
Okay. That's really valuable advice. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today on Masterclass US Wine Market on the Italian Wine Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. How can our listeners connect with you um, and follow what you're doing with Somnetic.ai? Yeah, please be sure to, to follow me on LinkedIn. And then also uh, my information to contact me will be posted with this. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's so great to have you here today. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass US Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.